Okay, Brent Patterson, born and raised in Saskatoon. He obviously knows quite a bit about activism. He spent his life, and I think he's going to teach us a lot this evening. And just one more comment. If you want to follow him as to um, what he does, he's now doing a lot of writing for Rabble.ca. Follow him on Rabble.ca. So, you now have Brent Patterson. Thank you very much. It's really wonderful to uh, be here with with all of you. So I also have a, a slideshow uh, to share. So I'm hoping this will be like a two-minute sort of plugging in the computer and that will all work out. Over the past number of months, I've been writing about climate justice issues, travel, and uh, looking at what the political moment is uh, about, some of the big we're confronting uh, as activists, and looking around at some of the big climate justice movements uh, that have emerged really over the past number of months, uh, including the Extinction Rebellion movement. Quickly to set some context, when we, um, the term that I prefer to use rather than climate change is climate breakdown. This comes from you know, who I, you're, says calling uh, you know an existential uh, crisis um, of a generic global warming or climate change really isn't sufficient. Climate breakdown is is the is the stronger term. And again, just setting some context and why the crisis is as as uh, imminent and severe um, a, as it is requiring the kind of action that I'll be talking about shortly. So a number of studies saying already 400,000 people uh, die as a result of climate change. There was a article uh, in the in the Guardian, the UK Guardian, uh, this morning talking, uh, quoting the World Health Organization saying that tackling climate change would save at least a million lives uh, per year. Gordon mentioned the point uh, around uh, wildlife populations declining. Partly here, this is just to say how severe a crisis this is. It's also to say climate change, climate breakdown isn't something that's coming. It's already here with some pretty massive impacts. Also, wanting to put out the idea in terms of climate refugees, some 20 22.5 million people a year are already displaced as a result of environmental disasters like flood storms. 80% of the people who are displaced are, are women. Climate change, climate breakdown also disproportionately impacts people of, of color and people of, of lower, of lower income. So, impact there. United Nations say it could be between 250 million people and 1 billion people who are displaced as a result of climate change by by 2050. And this is precisely at the time when we've seen right-wing populism, that authoritarianism, authoritarianism on the rise that's about shutting down the borders and stopping illegal immigrants and, and anti-refugee policies, all of that, just as we, we see that collision with with the impacts of, of climate change. We've already seen there's lots of other causal factors in terms of the forced migration out of Syria and Central America, Honduras, Guatemala, in terms of violence and repression, but also climate change is a part of that. And actually, let me just say how amazing it is to be on uh, uh, that um, you will have seen in the paper 
papers probably just recently that the United Nations is saying we have 12 years left to uh, to limit global warming to the 1.5 degree Celsius level. So we have there is an urgency. There's a very clear timeline on this. Uh, the UN also saying that that carbon emissions need to be cut by 45 percent uh, from 2010 levels by 2030. Uh, so in Canada, if we looked at uh, Canada's emissions in, in 2010, which were in the range of 692 megatons or 692, uh, that would mean Canada would need to cut down to about 380 uh, megatons by 2030. So that uh, number in mind, uh, 380 megatons. In, we obviously, Canada is obviously not on, on track. In 2015, the Trudeau government had pledged to reduce carbon emissions to about 512 uh, megatons by 2030, already quite above what the UN is now saying is needed. Oops. And in uh, 2017, Environment Canada acknowledged that Canada's carbon emissions could be as high as 709 tons, so way off track in terms of what's needed in terms of limiting. So part of the problem we have here is the relationship between Trudeau and big big oil. Uh, uh, Gordon used the quote in terms of uh, Trudeau saying to this big oil conference in, in Houston that no country would leave 173 billion barrels of oil in the ground, but that's precisely what science is saying has to be done. And so science is saying 85% of the tar sands uh, can't be extracted, can't be bur- burned to limit global warming to 2 degrees Celsius. And we are all we already know we're trying to ki- keep it below 1.5 degrees. So just building on the importance of that. Trudeau heading completely in the wrong uh, direction in terms of moving ahead with the Trans Mountain pipeline. Massive impact. Love this picture. I know it's from Peterborough, and that's why I added it here. So good on you for the folks who were were in that. Uh, an 890,000 barrel per day pipeline. Just even think about the size of one barrel of oil. 890,000 of those a day, 325 million a year. These things are built for 40 to 50 to 60 lifespans. That's a lot of of oil being moved and completely in the opposite direction of what's needed. In terms of fossil fuel subsidies, you'll probably remember that uh, Trudeau had promised to to phase out uh, fossil fuel subsidies in the uh, medium term. This was sort of relating to a G20 promise that was made in 2009, so almost 10 years ago, with the idea that they would do so by, by 2025. And hey, guess what? Uh, in the most recent study, Oil Change International is saying that G20 countries are now subsidizing the fossil fuel industry by $452 billion a year. So nice promise, nowhere near that. If we look at the Trudeau government specifically that it said will phase out fossil fuel subsidies, they spent already spending about $3.3 billion a year. It's larger than that. Then spent $4.5 billion to buy Trans Mountain, but that's really not the end of it because that's just buying the infrastructure. It'll take another $15 billion or so to, uh, to, to, to build the thing. So that's like, $20 billion fossil fuel subsidy. You'll also remember Trudeau promising to, uh, you know, respect Indigenous rights, particularly the United Nations uh, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous uh, Peoples and the right to free prior informed 
consent. Clearly, again, that's not happening with respect to the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Two-thirds of the First Nations along the pipeline route have not given their consent. The Trudeau government likes to talk about the other ones, but really, if you look at it numerically, most uh, do not. And the, almost the majority of the pipeline goes through the Swekmak territory in British Columbia, and the Swekmak people have not given their consent for the for the pipeline. Quickly to say in terms of the carbon tax, so all kinds of, you know, controversy around that, the so-called resistance, you know, the right-wing resistance is fighting against the tax, the tax, uh, that would start next year at about $20 a year. Just quickly to say that a Simon Fraser University economist is saying it really would need to start at about $30 a year and go up to $200 a ton just to meet the insufficient promise made by the Trudeau government in the Paris Climate Agreement. So the carbon tax, I don't oppose it, but it's, it is, as Gordon was saying, a very weak measure and it isn't going to get us where we want to go. Huge problem is in terms of uh, corporate power, I know we sort of change our light bulbs and bike as much as we can and try and reduce our fuel consumption. But when we look at it, it's 100 uh, corporations, 100 companies that have been the source of 70% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions since 1990, 1988. It is corporate power, corporations that are Utah Phillips. Some of you may be familiar with them. Folk singer who said the earth is not dying. It is being killed. And those who are killing it have names and addresses. And there is a list of those hundred companies available to all of us, uh, again, published by um, The Guardian. Is there hope in terms of uh, the upcoming uh, federal election, October 21st, 2019? So next year is the federal election. Last time it was a bit easier because we could say go vote and get people to to go, uh, you know, increase the, the voter turnout, which did happen. And there was a greater consensus around the Stop Harper message in a way that there probably isn't going to be a consensus around the Stop Trudeau kind of idea. But it is a problem in that the Trudeau government has pursued many of the same policies as the Harper government, notably around uh, the climate emission reduction targets, it's the exact same very weak target set by by both uh, governments. When we look at the 2019 election, lots can change, certainly in the space of well, 11 months or so, but basically uh, CBC pollster Eric Grenier, hope you read him, he's always has interesting stuff to say. It's basically saying there's about a two and three chance of the Liberals winning another majority uh, government, and so that good chance we will see a lot of the same kind of uh, policies that don't address climate change uh, continuing. I won't go through this chart, but I did want to highlight in terms of the impact that proportional representation would have meant, that genuine electoral reform would have meant, particularly if your local MP had had pursued that uh, in the way that uh, we had hoped that she would. Under under the current sort of polling uh, numbers, we would have it would projected to be a minority liberal government in in the next election, which creates a whole different thing. 
also to say when you look at the NDP and green numbers, which have been traditionally, you know, more uh, friendly towards uh, bolder climate action, we see that with proportional representation, they would have had uh, a much uh, larger presence than what is projected. Right now, It's the NDP is projected to have 19 seats. They could have had 53, two seats for the Greens, otherwise under PR uh, uh, 24. So there's some challenges in terms of electoral politics and and the, the constellation of parties. The House of Commons... We also have the challenge, again, of this rise of right-wing populism. You're probably familiar with what Ontario Proud uh, did in terms of the last uh, provincial election. The guy in the picture is the founder of it. He's a former Conservative Party staffer, former staffer at Sun News uh, Network, who's pushing a very right-wing agenda, basically a climate denialism uh, position, anti-carbon tax, but no real solution or no policies outside of that and they are strong and growing if we look at the Ontario proud movement that has gone right across the country they're at about 650,000 Facebook followers now the biggest progressive Facebook presence is lead now which is about a tenth of where where the proud movement is right now and Council of Canadians which has a brilliant Facebook page and I encourage you to follow it if you don't already is even smaller than what than lead now and and uh, it's 120th or so of where the proud movement is so can could an election challenge the power of big oil that would be great if that were the case and I would certainly encourage you to participate in uh, in the upcoming election but Lucy Parsons who's a radical labor activist from some time ago said never be deceived that the rich will let you vote away their wealth, a present-day Lucy Parsons might say, never be deceived that big oil will let you vote away the billions of dollars in profits they see in the ground under the sea. That's the challenge. I think that's one of the challenges that we're up against. So what do we do? So that's where we're getting to. What do we do? Uh, Weekend marches, let's do those. Let's keep doing our rallies and marches and leafleting and all of that. But as Aaron Dati Roy said, colorful demonstrations and weekend marches are vital, but alone are not powerful enough to stop wars or extrapolate that to stop big oil. More e-petitions. Let's keep signing petitions. Let's keep getting information out there. But Chris Hedges, who I know spoke in uh, Peterborough not so uh, long ago, said fairly strongly appealing to the better nature of power is a waste of time. It just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. So along comes Extinction Rebellion. And this is Tina, uh, Tiana Jack, Jackout, uh, one of their organizers who has said, we have tried marching and lobbying and signing petitions and nothing has brought about the change that is needed. So, uh, so they're calling for more from all of us. Let us step up to this political moment. So one of the interesting things they did is they even occupied the Greenpeace office in the United Kingdom. So good for you, Greenpeace. You know, you're, a, you're an ally and a friend and they occupied their offices with, uh, with love. That was in, in their note, but they said, we need more from you. This is this is an existential climate crisis. This is a life and death crisis, and we need more than banner drops and 
petitions and and so forth. So what Extinction Rebellion is calling for is nonviolent direct action and economic disruption. And they say that only this kind of large-scale economic disruption can rapidly bring the government to the table to discuss our demands. And just quickly, what some of their demands are saying is to reverse the policies that are inconsistent with addressing climate breakdown. So that would include stopping the fossil fuel uh, subsidies that are in the billions of dollars to enact legally binding policy measures to reduce carbon emissions to net zero by 2025. So moving ahead, there's also these calls for for annual targets, not this you know, here's our target 10 years down the road and oops, we missed that. So here's another one, another 10 years down the road, because that's a bit of a game. And then also saying that the government must help form a, a national citizens assembly to oversee the changes that are needed. So beyond the representative democracy, so to speak, real genuine participation in decision making and moving things forward. So some of the things that they've been doing is the campaign itself really just launched not so long ago, on October 31st, in London, where a thousand people, they call themselves conscientious protectors, which I think is a great, great way to frame it, blocked the four roads that lead into uh, Parliament Square and snarled uh, traffic and made their presence very known. And that was really just to launch the declaration, to say we're here and this is what we're we're doing. They also uh, then just shortly after, and it's sort of a key in terms of what they're doing, is they're doing a rapid succession of direct action events and so maintaining and building a pressure. So on November 12th, they blocked the entrances to the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, which is kind of basically like in Canada, the Department of Natural Resources, I guess, kind of the equivalent, also kind of like the one here, which promotes fracking and fossil fuel extraction and whatnot. So they mounted the building and spray painted the building. They also, I don't really know how they did this, but they they blocked all the entrances in part by super gluing their hands to the turnstiles so no one could could get in. Anybody who has kids, you don't want to do that. But anyways, it's a good good thing. November 15th, so just after that, they helped organize an LGBTQ plus dance party that shut down the Brazilian embassy. So this was pretty amazing in that. So Bolsonaro, the president-elect in Brazil, who's saying let's industrialize the, the, the Amazon, the lungs of the earth, the complete opposite direction of where we need to go, who is also completely uh, homophobic and, and full of hateful anti-gay attitudes. They brought this together in their critique by closing the Brazilian embassy with uh, what was called a queer party, to, uh, queer dance party to save the Amazon. So a really important bringing together of of issues. Then there's sort of big action, which you may have have seen in the news, is just shortly after that they mobilized six thousand people to shut down the the five main bridges in in London to to uh, to to highlight the demands, to highlight the crisis. What they're really trying to get across is we have a climate emergency. Governments need to recognize it as a climate emergency. People need to see it as a climate emergency, and we need to take action that's commensurate with that level of of crisis. Then, just shortly after that, about a thousand of them went to Parliament Square again, had a sort of a mock uh, coffin that said our future on it and tried to dig up some of the the ground at 
at the Parliament buildings. They did a mass die-in in front of 10 Downing Street, the office of the Prime Minister, and... Well, they almost stormed the palace, but so they even went to Buckingham Palace and called on the Queen, also the Queen of Canada, to say, protect your realm, step up, take some action to protect the Commonwealth, so to speak. Extinction Rebellion is also now organizing in this country. In a very short time, there's Extinction Rebellion Canada, uh, Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, Nova Scotia, PEI, uh, Facebook pages. There's also a, a number here in Ontario, including one here. Uh, in Peterborough, which is amazing. And I checked uh, just before coming to to this gathering with you, and there were 29 people who were uh, following that page, which is a pretty good number, I have to say, in comparison to some of the other communities. So there is a base here. I would encourage you to, to find it if you haven't already and connect uh, with other other folks, it's sort of one of the first ways to do that is is connecting on on Facebook and then in person. Already, there's been a direct action in Canada that included the Council of Canadians Victoria chapter. I'm happy to say, uh, so on one of the early days of the uh, United Nations Climate Conference in in Poland, the Johnson Street Bridge in Victoria was closed. Um, well, they actually closed it for several hours, but the idea was to to close it for 12 minutes to to symbolize the 12 years that we have left to to stay below the um, 1.5 degree Celsius limit, and they're calling for an international rebellion. So this is something for us to join. April 15th is the date that has been set. Lots of things that'll be happening uh, before then. Lots of things that'll be happening in communities across uh, this country and around the world. But I did want you to keep uh, April 15th in in mind. And the photo, as you can see, is of Extinction Rebellion uh, Toronto. Very, very quickly, because I know we're running out of time. Just to say there's lots of other really cool things happening that we should be aware of that is challenging climate change, is challenging the fossil fuel industry. The Hambach Forest is in Germany. People, the coal company, the coal mine, which is sort of like the size of the tar sands in northern Alberta, keeps chopping away every year away from this 12,000-year-old forest. So people have set up tree houses and are living there to prevent the forest from being cut down. Just, well, at the end of... October 6,500 people. So it is possible to mobilize in, in larger numbers. Blocked the railway that, that services, uh, the, um, the coal mine. And I don't know how well this, yeah, it comes out pretty good. So these are like the 6,000 people. That's one of the major machinery that is used to excavate at the, at the coal mine. And they shut it down for a, a day. It is possible, but let us just like imagine, like use her creativity and kind of think about what that would look like uh, in the tar sands. Valve turners, there are people both, well, both in Ontario, Quebec and the United States who physically turn the valves to stop the flow of the of the pipeline. That is possible to do. It's possible to do safely as well. They do call the oil company ahead of time. 
but it can make a major dent in the um, flow of oil. Also, also some really great things in terms of legislative campaigns that are happening and encourage you to check out the, the Sunrise Movement and see about uh, an equivalent uh, sort of green plan, Green New Deal uh, in Canada uh, as well. That's some great legislative work. Young people taking the federal government uh, to court to say you are endangering our future, you're violating our rights by failing to tackle uh, climate change that's part of an international movement that's happening in lots of lots of countries taking governments to, to court for failing to protect young people failing to protect all of us you've probably heard of Greta Thunberg the 15 year old Swedish teenager who's been doing the school uh, strike every Friday she doesn't go to school and hands out leaflets in front of the Swedish parliament. That's grown, that's inspired people and that's grown around the world. They just had a big student strike in uh, Australia. There's one plan for Friday in, in Toronto and it's happening in a number of other countries. So tune into that and see what's, what's happening there. There's also an earth strike, general strike being planned. A number of, of, of dates there, but September 27th, 2019 is the, is the big date. So again, we're limited on time, but check that out. You'll find it on Facebook. You'll find it on a, on an easy Google search. And I think there's something really kind of is also falls on the, the centennial anniversary of the Winnipeg general strike. And we really should have a general strike more than once every hundred years. So here's the, here's the thing for us. And check out as well the Progressive International Global Network, which just came out a little uh, while ago. And, and so the Progressive International, which uh, Nikki Ashton and DPMP has, uh, has endorsed. And, and it's, it's a way of, again, organizing internationally uh, on, on, on a global issue. Last concluding points, and sorry for doing this in a rush way, but so what I want to say to you is let's be epic because this is an epic political moment that we're living in and we, we, we need to step up to the moment. This is a, another picture of, of the resistance to the uh, coal mine in uh, the Hambach coal mine in, in Germany. Let's not play by the rules. So Greta Thunberg is saying there's no rules to keep the oil in the ground right now right now so we can't save the world by playing by the rules so we need to because the rules need to change so we need to think out of the outside of the box that's been given to us let's also keep developing a vision for a better world a revolution that is based on the people exercising their creativity in the midst of devastation is one of the great historical contributions of humankind, which I think is just a beautiful quote from Grace Lee Boggs. So we need to be hopeful. We need to be visionary. We need to have that view of, of what we're trying to create when we stop this kind of uh, destruction. I know we can also really get overwhelmed by all of the issues that come at us. And one way to one way to kind of make our way through that is to see the interconnection between all of these issues. So let's recognize the economic and political linkages, including race, class, and, and gender in the faces, in the issues that we're facing. These are Kurdish women in northern Syria who are fighting for democracy and, and women's rights who are expressing in this photo their solidarity with Black Lives Matter in the United States. 
Let's focus on how we're going to win because we can win and we do win. This is a party in, in Ottawa that I was at that celebrated the defeat of the 1.1 million barrel per day Energy East pipeline. So we can do it. Let's remember that. Let's not think otherwise. Let's stay hopeful and engaged. And this is a quote from Ursula Le Guin, who many of you may be familiar with, a science fiction writer who said, we live in capitalism, its power seems inescapable, but then so did the divine right of kings. So let us remember that in major historical moments, things can shift. We can see a, a, a change. We just, with this 12-year deadline, have to really accelerate the pace of, of our activism and of that change. But historical moments do change, and, and we have that power uh, within us. And then just lastly, let's trust in our collective wisdom, because I do believe we will find the answers together. When, when the Extinction Rebellion group here in Peterborough gets together and shares ideas and shares strategies and shares what you're, you're thinking about and comes up with, with ideas, you'll, you'll, I just know there's going to be some, some brilliant, brilliant ideas and brilliant, uh, strategy. And so really trust that together we're going to figure out a way to uh, to make our way through this and hopefully some of the movements around the world whether if that's you know the school strike or the sunrise movement or extinction rebellion or the kind of stuff that's happening in Germany hopefully some of that will spark some ideas for you and we'll get out there and we'll step up to the historical moment that's that's uh, in front of us and then lastly lastly just to say I hope we can stay in touch. I'm going to keep writing for Rabble. I hope you can check out some of the stuff I write. But if you have questions or comments or just want to stay in touch or want to bounce ideas off, these are the various ways in which uh, to reach me. I'll happily follow you on Twitter and Facebook. So let's let's stay in touch and let's move forward and and let's win together. Thank you. Thank you.